God speak. Great to be with you, Pastor Rob, and a whole group over at Brave at Port Winemi tonight, about five or 600 people. And so uh, I'm blessed that we even have anyone here tonight to hang out with and worship with because there's a large crew over there. Uh, some of them have to be outside because there's not, not enough room to fit inside. So what a blessing to be here tonight. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and our servants team will get you a Bible. If you don't have one, please take that home as a gift from us. We will be looking tonight at our message, Lions of Freedom, from Proverbs chapter 28 and 29. Proverbs chapter 28 and 29. When we think about this week, it's finally, finally wonderful to have some good news. We got some good news this week. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the message. Talk about those who won in, uh, that were running on a conservative platform, Republican platform back east. And it's interesting, isn't it? We have to reach all the way back east to have some encouragement because out here on the west coast, we haven't got any yet. So our encouragement is in the Lord Jesus, and tonight, as you know, in this first weekend of the month, we have communion, so we'll be enjoying Jesus who is on the throne, and that is always our good news, day in and day out, that he is on the throne. But if you haven't joined with us in our Anchored in the Word Bible reading, my passage of scripture that I choose on Saturday nights and the passage that Pastor Rob chooses is from our weekly reading. You can read at a slow pace because reading through the Bible in two years is a relatively slow pace. Reading through in a year is pretty aggressive, but uh, if you have that pace, that's wonderful. And yet, uh, two years gives you a little time to soak in and to absorb the passage of Scripture. Now, as we think of this, because I've done a couple of unusual things, we're not going to stand for the reading of the word because I, the first portion of scripture, as I was reading through in the New King James, I often devotionally read from the NLT or the New Living Translation because I like the subtle nuances that it brings out. And so we're going to pray for the Lord to bless our time in his word, and then we're going to jump in. And so if this first uh, part of the message, you'll see it's a New Living Translation, and it, it's going to differ a little from your New King James, but it's going to be up on the screen so that you can follow along. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. We ask that your spirit would speak to our hearts from your word, that you would build us up, Lord, as we turn to you and we look to you this evening. Lord, we need your nourishment. We need your encouragement. You're our strength. You're our refuge. You're our rock. You're our fortress. You're our high tower, Lord. We run to you and thank you for the promise that we are safe as we are hidden in you. Lord, we pray that you would keep our minds at perfect peace as we focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we want to talk about lions of freedom, and I was really struck by Proverbs 28 and 29, how the author of Proverbs finds it so fitting to talk so much about leadership especially kings and those who are in authority. And we're in this epic time, really the 10 months that it's almost like dog years, right? It's almost like seven years in the last uh, 10 months. And to think we have three years to go of this uh, administration. And so we're really praying for the Lord's help. So I'm always, as I'm reading through God's word, there are passages of scripture that for years I read them and oh yeah, that applies and you know, good kings and bad kings. And not really seeing the, the stark contrast that we're living through right now in our own experience. Unless you live on a different planet, <laughs> you're in this thing, you and me, together. And so as we look at Lions of Freedom, the very first verse, there's nine things that stood out to me in chapter 28 and 29. Actually, more than that, I had to cut it back uh, to uh, try to contain the content that I'm going to bring to you tonight. But there's nine things that stood out to me about leadership and then just applying them in this very relevant, current application to our daily lives in our nation where it is right now. Because it is truly epic times. In verse 1 of chapter 28, we see the importance of boldness. If we want to be lions for freedom, we have to discover a new courage. A courage is simply knowing the right thing to do, knowing the right thing to say, and doing it in spite of the consequences that you know are on the other side. 
How often do we hold back because we know if we say this, this is going to be the result. If we do this, this is going to be the result. And if we're going to be lions of freedom, we have to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us a new boldness. And I love how the writer of Proverbs says in verse 28:1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Boldness is about freedom of speech. It doesn't mean that you're not whimsical, meaning that you're not tactful or you're not loving. You can tell the truth in love and still be bold and courageous. It means that your tongue is no longer tied. You're no longer restricted by the fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare when we're worried about what everybody thinks about us, what everybody may be able to do to us. And yet, as we step forward, we really need to pray for a new boldness of speech. I know that I do. In different circumstances, as I'm getting shoved into them in various ways, it's like, okay, got to speak up. Okay, got to speak up. And in these circumstances, there is a boldness. You never see a lion intimidated when you watch these nature stories, right? (laughs) Any of you grow up, if you're close to my age, there are only a couple of things on Sunday nights, which was a terrible TV night when you're a young man. And one of those... (laughs) <laughs> was uh, Marlon Perkins, right? And his, uh, what was the name of it? Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom. Now, <laughs> as the years went by, pretty soon he, would, he had a new assistant that was a strapping young guy named Jim. And it would go something like, Jim's down there wrestling an alligator while I'm hiding up here in a tree. <laughs> Now, if you wanted to go for Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, you had hee-haw, right? (laughs) Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And those were, neither one of those were good choices. And if you really, really wanted to end your life, you went to Lawrence Welk, which my grandparents watched. These are the three shows that were on Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom, hee-haw, and Lawrence Welk. Very painful things. But on these nature shows, just growing up, I mean, you see this massive male lion. And when they showed up on the scene and hyenas were there, the hyenas took off because male lions would kill hyenas, even though there's a bigger pack of them. They're really fearless. They roar no matter what their circumstances when they want to roar. You see, to be as bold as a lion means that you have a freedom to speak, a freedom to roar, a freedom to speak up when you need to. But notice the contrast, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. When we're not in tune with the Lord, when we're not lined up, when we're not cleansed by the blood of Jesus, when there's not a confidence in our conscience, we're quiet when we should speak. We flee when we should stand. And so... The first thing that we realize, in, if you're going to be as bold as a lion, that there's a courage that we need to discover through prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to give us a new courage. And that's what the early church, when they were being intimidated by the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders who told them to shut up, don't talk about Jesus anymore, they prayed, and as they prayed, the Lord filled them with the Holy Spirit. The place where they were at was, was shaken, and they went out and they spoke with great boldness. The other thing that we see, the second thing, is that there's a stability with good leadership and instability with bad leadership. Now, that's quite obvious, right? But it says in verse 2, when there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. We had four good years of stability, and now we have a government and an administration and the moral rot is coming to the surface of our nation and now its government is topples easily or it's it, you know there's no no stability whether it's getting out of Afghanistan haphazardly and leaving our american citizens behind or you know shoving vaccine mandates down people's throat there's this wobbling and it, and it's truly I, I sincerely believe that joe biden because of his age is put into this place, and it's like a kamikaze presidency. Most presidents that are going to try after two terms, to go two terms, the first term, they're doing everything they can to get reelected. 
But in the second term, they don't care, right? It's the lame duck years of, it's like, I'm going to do whatever I can do because I don't need to get reelected. But that's his first term because at his age and his mental decline or his physical decline, there's no way he's running for a second term. So that's why it's full tilt, 10 months of destruction with a far left progressive persuasion because he has nothing to lose. The American people have something to lose, but he has nothing to lose. It's going to be his legacy. (laughs) His legacy will be the worst president in American history, bar none, up to this point. And if there's something that can fall, if the bar can be lowered worse, it may only be that he steps aside and Kamala Harris comes on the scene and we'll have the worst president plus a very funny cackle or laugh. The fourth verse of uh, chapter 28, there needs to be a resistance, and that's what we're seeing with moral or godly or conservative people standing up resisting this and pushing back. In verse 4 it says, to reject the law is to praise the wicked. To obey the law is to fight them. It means to resist those who are breaking the law. The lawlessness that's sweeping across America, there are those who want to obey the law and have a law and order society. The lawless push to defund the police and to remove the restraints and not enforce the law that's even there and in place and demoralizing police officers as they arrest people because people have broken the law only to give them to a prosecutor that will not prosecute the law. We live in this lawless, incredible time, but we have to resist. We have to rise up and resist as we are with our voices, all in a peaceful manner. The fourth thought is understanding in verse 5. Evil people don't understand justice. Have you, underst- have you observed this? That evil people don't understand justice, but those who follow the Lord understand completely. Why is it the Lord turns on the lights and the Holy Spirit illuminates and we can see right and wrong? We can see good and evil. We can see this is a practical decision. This is a logical step. This is following the science. But why is it that evil people don't understand true justice? But those who follow the Lord understand it completely. God grants his people wisdom. As we ask for wisdom, he guides us, he directs us, and people that don't know the Lord can still be living in the dark and making terrible decisions, and it's not just. It's not justice in which they are pursuing. The fifth thought that stood out to me is in verse 12 of chapter 28, when it says, when the godly succeed, everyone is glad. When the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. (laughs) Have you felt like hiding yourself? <laughs> when, when the wicked take charge, people go into hiding. When God, the godly succeed, everyone's glad. Man, so happy. There's a good person in charge. We can all just kind of, you know, kick back just a little bit because we feel safe, right? When you have a person with good judgment, with a good perspective, good morals, somebody that loves the Constitution, loves our nation, wants the best for our nation and loves the people of the nation, you just, oh man, the pressure's off from all of this constant resisting evil. And this response from people is obvious and understandable. Man, this week we got some good news, as I said earlier, with some winds back east that really put some faith back in us for the American people that the entire country is not lost because people stood up because they did the wrong thing and they messed with people's kids. And so parents finally got riled up and mama bears got riled up and really this led the charge. And then you have a McAuliffe declaring, hey, it's none of parents' business what is taught to their children in the schools. And he tried to back away from that statement, but they had it at five different times he said it. This this is the mentality of the socialist left. Give us your children. The state will raise your kids. You remember Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village. No, it doesn't take mom and dad. It takes a village. 
hand them over to the cultural revolution, hand them over to the government indoctrination. It was a soft sell on socialism. But when the wicked are in charge, people go into hiding. They're hiding in Idaho and Florida and Texas. They're running and hiding, right? They're going up to the hills. They're getting out of Dodge. They're moving. Less. I mean, whole companies are leaving. Elon Musk and Tesla and moving their administration offices to Texas. And they have 57,000 employees here. And when will they move the manufacturing over there? And oh, have mercy on Texas, right? Because you take all these people that oftentimes many of them are woke and they all move to Austin, which is basically like Frisco of Texas, right? And so now you have a dilution of that conservative element. And it goes from red to purple, right, before it turns blue. But people are trying to hide from the administration here in California. They're trying to, and this is the thing, everybody's flooding across our borders, but when America falls to socialism or communism, where do we run, you guys? What nation in the world do we go to? This is the city on the hill. This is where everybody's going. Where do we go? Where do we run now? So, in God's grace, we love it when the godly succeed. And I'll just, the godly succeed, a conservative person, a logical person succeeds. Anybody anybody that has some brains and would be practical and logical and does not hate our country. Why in the world would we ever put a person that thinks that America is systemically racist and basically hates the heritage of our world, why would we put them in an office to do damage to our nation? It makes no sense. And yet that's the agenda that is being pushed forward. In chapter 29, he said basically the same thing in verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. We've been groaning. The sixth thing that stands out to me in verse 15 of chapter 28 is the danger. This dangerous, wicked ruler is is dangerous to the poor as a roaring lion and an attacking bear. That's pretty dangerous, a roaring lion and attacking bear. And the roaring lion and attacking bear to the poor now in an administration like this is their finances being gutted and devastated by inflation and what is happening and the desperate need that is now getting ready to uh, sweep across our nation till next summer, they're telling us, and that is this incredible shortage of goods, the supply chain. China last week told all of their citizens, store up on goods. Now, that's 1.5 billion people. They're saying to store up on goods. Now, for a couple of reasons, either the supply chain's gonna affect them in the same way, or they're getting ready to take on Taiwan. It's either A or B. Or maybe it's both, right? China's very aggressive. And so when a wicked ruler, it's dangerous to the poor, those who say they want to help the poor, and then you're paying five, six bucks a gallon for gas, right? It affects people that are in the lower economy bracket. Number seven is oppression. In verse 16 of chapter 28, a ruler with no understanding will oppress his people. You get that? This is written 3,000 years ago. They, nothing's new under the sun. You get somebody in charge? tells us a ruler with no understanding will oppress his people but one who hates corruption will have a long life one who hates corruption because you see oppression comes from a corrupt motivation a corrupt desire and that corruption that we see as the eighth thing in verse four of chapter 29 the king establishes the land by justice but he who receives bribes overthrows it What is the corruption that's going on in our nation, and how did this incredible constitutional republic that has really rocked the world for 250 years, roughly, approximately, the corruption that has grown, and we call it now what? The swamp. 
And the swamp is basically that people get into office with a good motive, some, and then they realize that they're beholden to all of these lobbyist groups that give them money into their, and, and so they owe everybody. So when it comes to a vote, like they just passed this $1.2 trillion uh, crazy infrastructure bill, and 13 Republicans that could have put a stop to it voted along with it. They would not have passed if they would have just stood their ground and continued to whittle it down because our great-grandchildren are the ones going to be paying that because it's astronomical. And with this reality is that politicians are compromised because of bribes. I was talking to Madison Cawthorn when he was here a few weeks ago. Here's a 25-year-old. He's going to Congress for the first time. He represents basically 725,000 people in western North Carolina. And he's going there and he said, in my mind, I asked him what was the first thing that really struck you. He said, in my mind, I thought when I go to the halls of Congress in the United States of America, this great land, a bill's, it will be like, basically like high school debate. A bill, those who are for the bill will stand up and give their case for this bill, and those who are against it will stand up, and then they'll vote, and it'll be over. And he said, that's not the way it works. He said, basically these bills are, are passed in dark restaurants with lobbyists to your right and your left promising you big money. That's the way the laws are passed. And so the corruption and the swamp that is going on, it tells us the king establishes the land by justice. So when you get a president that is independently wealthy and owes nobody anything, that's the place you have to be. You have to have no strings attached. right? And so that's why the swamp monsters cannot tolerate a man that can't be owned. There's no way. They, they won't put an unjust corrupts it. It's just like if there's corrupt police officers on the take, they can't tolerate that cop that does not want to be on the take. He's got to be one of them or he's got to, you got to get rid of him. You got to get him out. So corruption is one of the things that we need to be praying as a people. We need to recognize and see. That's why in so many of these cases that there's not much difference between the Democrat and the Republican because if they're owned by a big pharma or they're owned by whatever it is, there's not much difference. But the writer of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom and understanding and an enigma, is giving us wisdom so that we can move forward with it and to root out corruption. Listen to Solomon's take from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8. Listen to what he says. And you'll, this is 3,000 years ago. He said, if you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province or in a state or in a country, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official and higher official are over them. He's like, the corruption's complete. <laughs> higher official over this official over this official. And here you are in awe. <laughs> that there's corruption. And Solomon says, who is the wisest man to ever live, until the Lord Jesus came on the scene, God gave him wisdom like nobody else. That's why God told Moses, well, through Jethro, Jethro gives Moses some great advice. He said, this is what you're gonna do because this is where our founding fathers got the concept for representative government, okay, for a constitutional republic, in Exodus 18.21, he says this. This is who you're looking for. And when we're looking to elect somebody, this is who we're looking for. You shall select from all the people able men. They have to be competent. They have to be successful in their own right. They have to be good at the business that they run. They have to be able. That's the problem with a lot of these politicians have never held a job. They've never overseen anything. They've never been good at anything except, you know, schmoozing people. And so they're, they're not capable but they can win elections. I guess they're capable at that. So number one, they need to be able men. Number two, such as fear God or those who at least would have some morals that would come from upstream from those godly family members because a lot of people today are not walking with the Lord, but they have this moral. When you look at their life, you're like, where'd you get your morals? And you usually find out that their grandparents were believers or you, know, you just follow upstream. Where'd, the, where'd their morals come from in their family? It was somebody upstream from them. They are to be men of truth. 
That means they're connected with reality. They hate covetousness, meaning they're not greedy for more, and, such, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, fifties, and tens. So this was the model for our republic our constitutional republic as a representative. So you want to send a person like this, especially as we're talking about bribes, somebody that's not covetous. Because isn't it fascinating? But Because when you find out when, what representatives and senators make, and they, it, it, when they make it to Washington, D.C. at that level, within five to ten years as they stay, they're millionaires. And there is no way that on a $174,000 a year salary... You're going to be a millionaire when you're paying that much money. You have to maintain a place back in your home state. You have to maintain a place in Washington, D.C. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to become a millionaire? Because of the lobbyists. Just being in everybody's pocket. And why would you ever want to leave a cush thing of cocktail parties and big money and just having a cool title? The corruption has to be rooted out by God's grace, by good people getting into the right places. And the ninth thing that the writer of Proverbs, giving us good wisdom and insight from 3,000 years ago, says that all of these things result in the streets, or as I have here in number nine, riots. For it says in verse eight of chapter 29, scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. He's simply saying what you have watched for the last year. Scoffers set a city aflame. Portland's still burning. Minneapolis, Chicago. Chicago, the murder capital of America. Killing people like nobody's business. I think there are over 650 people dead, 3,000 people shot. And that's just month, uh, January to date. They still have a two full months to kill a bunch more people. N- New York and the crime, everything that's going on because a political agenda that makes it to the street, turns into riots. Isn't it fascinating that Antifa, Black Lives Matter, whoever, they wanna, they wanna light a city on fire, they wanna break windows out, they wanna steal and pillage all the stuff, that's called a peaceful protest. But have you noticed that when conservatives protest, it's the most peaceful thing you ever saw in your life? No windows are broken, nobody's robbed, nothing happens. Now, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the capital situation in the movie, the documentary you're gonna to watch tomorrow night, Capital Punishment, is a different story with incredible undertones of instigators that are implemented in this. To, to give you an idea, any of you heard recently about this terrible, terrible story of Governor Whitmer that was going to be kidnapped? You haven't heard of that at least recently, right? That was like six, seven months ago. Isn't it fascinating? Tucker Carlson just did a special on this on Fox Nation. You can check it out. He mentions it, though it's connected to the Capitol riot or, you know, whole dynamic, is that they, when they arrested people for supposed, the scenario was almost the same. They, they did a dry run in the Capitol in Michigan. And they arrested 18 people, and of the 18 people, get this, of the 18 people, 12 of them were either FBI informants or FBI agents that instigated the entire thing. And the leader that was the the FBI director of the state of Michigan that was based in Detroit, three months before January 6th, he got transferred to D.C. to be the director in D.C., now, this is on Tucker Carlson. This is not me just, you know, say, I read a little article on Breitbart. I mean, I'm, this is, these are the things that are going, and now you don't hear anything about that. Why? Because it was, they were outed about the FBI informers and the instigators. And so, like, oh, that just story just, just went away. It just it, it disappeared. Nothing to see here. Now, wouldn't that be a big story? A governor's going to be kidnapped? It'd be huge. But not if the instigation is trying to fan the flame of this weird, domestic, white supremacist terrorist storyline. Well, anyway, I know you guys are up on this. You don't need to hear all of that from me. Surely you don't. Let's talk about some good news. 
Let's celebrate four victories and a really close call. We saw Republican Glenn Youngkin win the governorship of Virginia. This is a huge deal, huge deal. They have a, they have a clean sweep, so also the attorney general is uh, won by Miyares, uh, Jason Miyares, and he wins that as a Republican. And then in New Jersey, they didn't even think it would be close because Philip Murphy, I mean, he had a lock on it, right? But this Chitterelli almost beat him. I mean, it was so close within, you know, under 50,000 votes. So Chitterelli now is uh, getting ready to protest to have a recount because that's how close it is. Nobody thought that would happen, but this was really the humdinger of the whole thing there in New Jersey. A truck driver of 18 years, Ed, Edward Durr, a Republican, unseated Stephen Sweeney, the, United, uh, the, the state Senate majority leader and one of the most powerful Democrats in New Jersey who had his eyes on running for governorship in the next few years. Here's a truck driver. He went out and knocked, if you've watched interviews with Ed, he went out and knocked on 20,000 doors. Now, I used to go door to door selling cable vision when I was 19. So you know what it's like to go door to door. He knocked on 20,000 doors and he won and beat the most powerful. He was the majority leader in the state Senate of New Jersey. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Yeah. But this one is so exciting on one hand and then bizarre in, in the reaction of the progressive left on the other. And that is Republican Winsome Sears, she's the first black female lieutenant governor and she is a fiery ex-Marine patriot, a uh, immigrant from Jamaica. She's just this incredible lady that really has some brass and, and, and she's got this you know, picture with her in an AR-15 and... Uh, <laughs> She's, she's really something if you've watched interviews with her. But this, you know, Joy Reid and one of her progressive left uh, cronies from a university just had to tear her apart. And this is fascinating to me, that here is the first female black lieutenant governor of Virginia, and you would think that you would celebrate that. You would celebrate that, the upward mobility, the, the freedom, the lack of restriction, but oh no, they have to destroy anybody. You can be black, but you cannot be conservative. Look at this exchange. This is, it, it, it's, it just blows me away. There is a black mouth moving, but a white idea through the running on the runway of the tongue of a figure who justifies and legitimates uh, the white supremacist practices. We know that we can internalize in our own minds, in our own subconscious, in our own bodies, the very principles that are undoing us. So to have a black face uh, speaking in behalf of a white supremacist legacy is nothing new. And it is to the chagrin of those of us who study race that the white folk on the other side and the right wingers on the other side don't understand this is politics one-on-one and this is race, not even one-on-one. What's beneath one-on-one? It's the, it's the pre-K of race. <laughs> it's startling to me. Here's, you know how hard it is to win any election and to not give this gal credit for her scrappiness and to be able to win but it's now she's internalized this white supremacy that's coming out the runway of the tongue of her mouth. It's like, like whoever, who even talks like that? But, but uh, they were asking her, this girl's fearless. If you watch it, get a chance to watch an interview with Winsome. She says, I would love to have Joy Reid invite me onto her program. <laughs> she ain't scared, as my cousin says. She's ready to go. But the thing is, 
When is really dividing us? Red versus blue, conservative versus progressive left, Christian versus non-believer. Here in the United States of America, as you see this picture, people are starting to talk about the great divorce of a nation that's coming on the scene because of this picture and seeing all of the, the redness and the blue and the ideology is so different. And, and I just randomly, this is not an order of priority, it's just things that just kind of flooded through my mind. I just started typing all the things that right now have polarized us in such an extreme way in our nation. Up front, personal health responsibility versus government-controlled mandates, right? There are, you know, if I want to wear a mask or I want to get a vaccine, I'll take care of myself. I don't need the government to force me to do it. But isn't it fascinating, but the progressive left has the exact opposite. We're moving through life by faith and courageous and w- willing to just have health risk. And they're, they're terrified by a flu that's 99% recoverable. Race doesn't matter to us. It's like, I don't care what color you are. I care who you are as a person. What's your idea is? What's your, per- you know, are you a blessing to be around? It doesn't matter to me what color your skin is. Race doesn't matter to us. Race is all that matters to the progressive left because their narrative is the most dangerous health, the, the most dangerous threat in America is white supremacy. Really? China's sending supersonic missiles around the planet three or four times and white supremacy is the scariest thing going on? <laughs> I don't get it. Gender is biological. There's, there's male and female versus gender is psychological, whatever I want to be. I am a, you know, non-binary fluid gender. Okay? Isn't it funny that, you know, we are body, soul, and spirit? And I've always heard that my soul, who I am and my personality, and my spirit, the essence of who I am spiritually, is more important than just this body. But to them, the body is all important. What color is it? And what kind of body parts does it have underneath its pants? Isn't that weird? All they want to worry about is my skin and my private parts? I don't think so. Why are you worried about my private parts and how, how I, you know, I identify? How do you identify? I identify as I came into the world as a male. Oh, no. There's one of those white supremacists with a male part in his pants. Oh, no. These people are nuts. They're crazy. We want to have, as believers, the Lord's given us dominion over the earth, we want to have good environmental stewardship versus deranged climate doomsdayers, right? The ice caps are melting. New York and Los Angeles are going to be underwater, they told us 20 years ago. And yet, all of these progressive leftists are still buying beachfront property. Isn't that amazing? Like, if that's true, I'd be heading for the hills if I was them. But it's bizarre. This, this whole climate thing is just, if it's not racism or some kind of transphobia, it's climate change. Those are their three go-tos, right? This, it's gotta be that. You know, Kamala Harris decided that after going down to South America that the real problem with the invasion of our border was climate change. That's what it is, really. It's really warm down there, so they're running for America. Okay. It's pro-life versus pro-choice. We believe that life begins at conception, and they want to be able to take a child's life all the way up till its actual delivery date. Unbelievable. And yet these same people that if you said, save the whales or save the bald eagle or save, they would die for an eagle egg. But what about an unborn child? Let them take their life. It makes no logical sense. No logical sense. Law enforcement versus lawless defund the police agenda. Don't you want some police in your community so that you're safe at night? Don't you want your wife and children with the stroller to be able to walk to a park and not be shot in a drive-by? It's called laws and then law enforcement. Free enterprises versus socialism or communism. That's a no-brainer. 
All of these things that I'm talking about, you can trace biblical concepts to every single one of the things that I'm talking about. Free enterprise versus socialism. Strong families versus government, destructive indoctrination. They want to destroy and pull apart the family because the family is the building block and fabric of every society. You got to pull it apart. Voters integrity, voter integrity versus voter corruption. Hey, just mail in those ballots, print it off yourself. If you, if you ask for an ID for voter integrity, you're a racist. Now, it's funny when the police, all, you know, I, I have to have a driver's license, right, to drive on the road. I have to, when I go to a hotel, I have to have a driver's license to show to them at the hotel. I've never, I can, I'm going to try this the next time I go to a hotel. And they ask for the driver's license, you racist. How dare you ask for a driver's license? A driver's license has nothing to do with skin color, but it's suppre- you're suppressing the vote. It's idiotic nonsense that if anybody will be logical, they would see right through it. But why is it that the strong delusion in the dark, it's like people groping around in the dark, but they've only grabbed hold of handles that will tear down and destroy a society. And they've not found one tool to build a society. They have no tools. They only have tools of destruction. Biblical morals versus cultural relativism. True history versus revisionist history. Secure borders versus open borders. Wise military withdrawals versus foolish chaotic withdrawals. Afghanistan. Prioritizing citizens versus prioritizing foreigners. They boasted that they got 100,000 people out of Afghanistan and only 3,000 of those were Americans. 97,000 were Afghanis. Now, a lot of them were our uh, translators and people we had relationship with, so we, they didn't want to get them out. But to have some priority for our citizens. Now they're going to give $450,000 to every child that was separated from his parents during the Trump administration. 450, a half a million dollars to every child. Now, you're like... Can I go get separated from my family? Does that have, can I do it as an adult? My parents are still alive. Maybe they, I could get separated. The people coming Ill- legally into the United States, they get nada. Zip. Unbelievable. Strong national defense versus slaves to strong nations. We want a strong national defense for America. We don't want to just bow our knee to every other nation in the world. But the progressive left, because they're globalists, they want to do that. Faith in God versus faith in government. They want to trust the government. We want smaller government. They want bigger government. We want liberty and freedom versus safety and security. They want, we want balanced budgets versus crushing national debt. We want to know, we want people to know there's personal responsibility versus group victimhood. Personal hard work versus group entitled laziness. Personal property rights versus government property takeover. In all these things, it all sums it up in simple th- simply this. If you're conservative, you like an orderly life. And if you're a progressive, you love chaos. That's the real difference is order versus chaos. In 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Imagine our life and the peace that we have. It's because when there's laws and law enforcement and we have good leaders, we have orderly communities. Go into inner city Los Angeles, into the tent cities. Go into Portland and look at the chaos in Portland. Go into Detroit or Chicago or New York. Everywhere the progressive leftists are in charge, their city becomes a dump because it's disorder. It's lawlessness and disorder, and it's scary, and good people move out. Good people move away. And people that are unable stay there and have the dog eat dog and hope they don't get shot. I don't know if you read the heartbreaking story last week of a mom she had a, uh, I think a seven or eight month old, and she was singing a Christian lullaby to her newborn baby, and in a drive-by, 
somebody went and they shot and killed the mom with the baby in her arms as she was singing a Christian lullaby to this little child. Think, wow, this was in Chicago. That's what a progressive left agenda gets you. Chaos and destruction. But order and peace is amazing, isn't it? It's such a blessing. Because, you know, this is the beautiful thing. If people... If people would just understand, hey, there's just one race, it's the human race, and America does it better than any nation in the world. When you come here and you become an American, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter what background you came from, we're Americans. And this is exactly what Paul told us 2,000 years ago. He said in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 and 27, he says, he, speaking of God, God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings or their, their nations, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. All of us came from one set of parents. And through all the dynamics, different melanin contents and different national groups getting together and all those things being stronger, but the reality is there's one human race and America is the greatest nation still with all of this going on. Can you imagine? Just imagine this thought. I tell people that think America is so awful. America has been the greatest superpower post-World War II. In the Cold War, we were at a battle or odds with Russia. And let me just ask you this. If you are the most powerful nation in the world and you have the strongest military might and machine and economy in the world, and you have this power, oops, you have this power, what do you do with it? We help people. We give money. We go fight for people, and then we ask for only the ground to bury our dead. We don't take that ground. We went to Iraq. We should have, I mean, people said we should have taken the, the oil fields. We didn't. We left. We go into Germany. We help them rebuild it. We go into Japan and help them rebuild it. People have backhandedly joked that the greatest thing in America, I mean, the greatest thing in the world is to be conquered by America because your nation after 20 years is going to be a superior nation. In Afghanistan, they have experienced freedom for 20 years, and now they're back to the tyranny of the Taliban because America was there. Can you imagine giving the superpower? What if right now China was the most powerful, if China was the most powerful nation in the world since World War II, what would this world look like? We would all speak speaking Chinese, right? They would dominate the entire world. What if Russia was the most powerful nation in the world since World War II? What kind of tyranny would have taken place in the gulags of dissidents? If you think about any, what if North Korea was the most, you're going to give them the most powerful place in the world? No nation has been a greater steward of its power and its economy and resources. This has been the most benevolent giving nation in world history. And yet, an entire generation wants to spit in the face of the history and the heritage of this nation. And they know not what they speak of. They are so disconnected with history and reality that they live in a land of indoctrinated delusion. So, as a nation, if we can be who we are as Americans and get involved, because we have to realize this. It's really simple. We have to focus on getting involved locally in our government because if we take care of things locally, nationally things will happen. But what we've done is focus on one national thing and we've left all of our local things apart. On this first weekend of the month, you know, I want you to know that without Jesus' love and grace in my life in this last year, I think I would have lost my mind. I'm sure that some of you are more stable individuals than me. People say Jesus is a crutch. I always laugh at that. You need Jesus, Rick. He's a crutch. I'm like, dude, he's a full-blown life support system. Forget a crutch. 
Jesus helps me maintain my stability because when I am at my wit's end, I just start praying to the Lord. He gives me supernatural peace. And I'm like, okay, Jesus, you're on the throne. You're in charge. You died on the cross for my sins because you love me so much. You rose from the dead. You conquered sin. You conquered death. And this is nothing for you. It's like Psalm 2 where it says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing against the Lord and his Christ? The nations are, and it says the Lord shall laugh from the heavens. The Lord sees all of this, and he's just like, you know, it's no big deal. I got this. I want you to trust me. And tonight as we end our service, it's a great time to be able to really partake of communion and remember the Lord's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. We're going to have the worship team come up, and they're going to lead us in song. And as you have your communion elements, just take out the bread Jesus said, as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. Let's pray and thank him for his body given for us. Lord Jesus, on that night before your crucifixion, you took the bread, you blessed it, you broke it, you gave it to your disciples, and you said, this is my body given for you. Lord Jesus, you gave your body to suffer a horrendous price. Your body was brutalized to pay the price for our sins, Lord. And we want to thank you for washing us and cleansing us. And we pray that you would fill us with your grace and love and courage in these times, Lord, that we see our nation that we love so much and you've graced us with, Lord. We want to be good stewards and we realize we have to rise and resist the tsunami of evil that's trying to sweep away our nation. And so tonight, Lord, we thank you that you conquered our two greatest enemies, sin and death. So thank you for giving your body for us. Let's take the bread together. As we take the cup, Lord Jesus, thank you for the symbol of your blood that we hold in this cup, your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. Lord, you once and for all, your sacrifice is effective to wash away all of our sins. But refresh us with your forgiveness tonight, Lord, as we remember you. Refresh us with your powerful cleansing blood to wash away our sins, to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse our minds, to cleanse our hands. Lord, that we might walk with you and live for you and serve you. Lord, thank you for your blood being poured out for us. In Jesus' name. Let's take the cup together. Let's stand together for this closing song. Let's pour out our hearts to the Lord in this worship song. May the Lord keep you in his incredible grace as we continue to move forward with courage and boldness empowered by the Lord's Spirit. Let's worship Him with this closing song.